0: This week, the Weinstein Company and Claire's file for Chapter 11 in Delaware, Toys R Us is granted interim approval to begin winding down in the U.S., Catalina Marketing is working with advisors, and so are its lenders, and Community Health Systems appears to have the votes to amend its credit facility. All that, plus our weekly updates on Puerto Rico and Venezuela. Welcome to the week in New York. Hello. And welcome to the REORG Research Weekly Podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in the news of distressed debt and bankruptcies. I'm Nick Lichtenberg, reporting from REORG's offices in New York City. And on our deep dive segment this week, we will sit down with our distressed debt analyst, Stephen Opper, and event driven financial analyst, Shrey Verma, to look at consolidation in the pharmaceutical supply chain, covering CVS Aetna, Rite Aid Albertsons, and Express Scripts Cigna, to name a few. It's Sunday, March 25th. Delaware was the venue for two anticipated bankruptcy filings this week. First was Claire's, the ear piercing specialist, which filed on Monday morning with an RSA in hand for a pre negotiated plan. The debtors said they intend to solicit votes on the plan in or around mid June. The Weinstein Company was next to file in Delaware on Tuesday with only a $500,000 cash balance and a stocking horse bid from Lantern Entertainment, an affiliate of Lantern Capital. The bid included a cash component of $310 million. The company had been largely unable to operate in the wake of the sexual harassment allegations against eponymous co-founder Harvey Weinstein, according to its chief restructuring officer. The board decided on March 19th to, quote, expressly release any confidentiality provision regarding witnesses or victims of Weinstein's sexual misconduct. Toys R Us entered the week seeking court approval for its motion to wind down operations in the U.S., Vendors, landlords, and other creditors entered the week filing objections to this motion, more than 40 in all, while trade vendors filed motions to compel both the allowance and the payment of administrative claims that they feared would never see the light of day. After a hearing lasting almost nine hours, Judge Keith Phillips said he believed a, quote, orderly liquidation was in, quote, the sound exercise of the debtor's business judgment. Two days later, MGA Entertainment Chief Isaac Larian announced that he had launched a GoFundMe campaign to rescue the company, with a $1 billion goal and $200 million already contributed. The campaign was still at $200 million as of Friday afternoon. The same day, the toy retailer said that of the many sad moments for Toys R Us in recent weeks, none was, quote, more heartbreaking than the death of founder Charles Lazarus, who died earlier that day. Reorg initiated coverage this week on Catalina Marketing, a digital advertiser that reported a 12.2% decline in revenue and a 26% decline in EBITDA for the fourth quarter of 2017 compared to the fourth quarter of 2016. The company has brought on restructuring advisors, while Gottschall and Centerview, sources told Reorg, while a group of second lien lenders is working with Paul Weiss and PJT, and first lien lenders have brought in Jones Day. And held pitches for financial advisors last Friday. Community Health Systems was negotiating with creditors throughout the week ahead of a Thursday afternoon deadline to vote on proposed amendments to its credit facility. On Wednesday, REORG reported that a group holding 62% of the GNH term loans was having a, quote, constructive dialogue with community's advisors. But the next day, sources told REORG that the group intended to vote against the modifications. On Friday morning, RIOG reported that community, quote, appeared to have the votes in hand to amend the facility, according to a disclosure on Intralinks. On Friday, on the island of Puerto Rico, the governor Ricardo Rosselló announced during a roundtable discussion that the latest revised fiscal plan will show a cumulative $5.5 billion surplus over the course of the six-year plan. According to Commonwealth officials, the plan now envisions savings of $1.45 billion from government right-sizing initiatives, and it proposes structural reforms that are forecast to produce additional economic growth of 1.8%. At a press conference in San Juan during the week, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin appeared with Governor Rosselló to announce an agreement regarding community disaster loan financing. Mnuchin said the Treasury would consider forgiving a CDL to Puerto Rico if needed, but would not do so for bondholders' benefit. Mnuchin gave out a few other details, including the amount of the loan that's been approved for the disaster-struck island territory. It also remains unclear when or even if Puerto Rico will access the funding. Governor Roselló said the PROMESA Oversight Board and Judge Laura Taylor Swain will both need to approve legislation to execute the transaction. Addressing the state of PREPA's need for supplemental post-petition financing, the Oversight Board announced on Friday that barring unforeseen circumstances, it does not anticipate a need for supplemental post-petition financing before May 15th, and possibly not until several weeks after that, citing materially better actual liquidity than originally forecasted, as evidenced in its recent budget reports. PREPA also disclosed that given the additional time it has to seek additional financing, the utility has also extended to April 16th, the deadline by which alternative committed financing proposals must be submitted. Turning to Venezuela, Senior Rosnaft management noted this week during an earnings call that, to date, PDVSA has repaid around $3.3 billion out of a $6.5 billion loan. The link between Russia and Venezuela could prove increasingly important to President Nicolas Maduro, as the international community continues to pressure the South American country. On Monday, U.S. President Donald J. Trump signed an executive order banning U.S. persons from dealing in Venezuela's cryptocurrency. Several news outlets reported that Russian officials had advised Venezuela on the digital currency's issuance. Meanwhile, the bonds have bounced around this week but ticked up earlier in the week as some investors are getting more bullish on the idea of regime change. Our top red stories of the week were, number one, MGA Entertainment CEO creates GoFundMe to save Toys R Us, over 200 million of contributions to date. Number two, amid $500,000 cash balance Weinstein Company seeks Chapter 11 relief with $310 million lantern purchase agreement, $25 million delayed draw dip facility. And number three, Claire's RSA targets mid-June solicitation of plan votes, September exit from Chapter 11, contemplating a $575 million backstopped new money investment through first lien debt and preferred equity. And now I'll
1: pass it over to Jim in Houston for a preview of what's to come in the week ahead. Hello, Nick. Thank you, and greetings to our listeners from Houston, Texas, the jewel of the Gulf Coast, where it's 70, sunny, and short on that legendary humidity for which the southern coastal plain from Charleston to Corpus Christi is legendary. And it's also crawfish season. Deep fried, boiled, or in an etouffee, it's very hard to ruin a mud bug. And it's a busy week this week, with confirmation hearings for PES, Westinghouse, Exgen, and Velocity, an auction for some toy stores, and many, many things related to Puerto Rico. One of the things that will not be happening in the Puerto Rico cases is the Oversights Board meeting scheduled for Monday, March 26th. PREMESA canceled that on late Friday after the release of revised fiscal plans for the Commonwealth and an alphabet soup of agencies, including PREPA, PRESA, HTA, UPR, and COSEC. However, still on the calendar for Monday is the combined plan and DS hearing for Philadelphia Energy Solutions. Tuesday, March 27th, a cash collateral hearing for iHeart here in Houston, and up in New York, the confirmation hearing for Westinghouse. Also in New York, oral arguments on the preliminary injunction in Puerto Rico, J. Crew has its earnings and earnings call, and a UCC formation meeting for ear piercer Claire's. Rather poignant, I was running errands with my seven-year-old daughter yesterday, picking up some crawfish as it happens, and she asked me if we could go buy Claire's, and then maybe Toys R Us. Anyway, On Wednesday, March 28th, the UCC formation meeting for the Weinstein companies, the aforementioned confirmation hearing for Exgen, the plan voting deadline for Cobalt, and for Fieldwood Energies replies to the plan and DS objections are due. Thursday, March 29th, there is an auction related to the Toys R Us stores. The expiration of Rite Aid's offer to purchase $900 million of asset sales notes and the confirmation hearing for Velocity. And Friday, the expiration of Intel Sat's tender for its six and three-quarter notes, and in the Hubnanian Solus cases, the plaintiff's opposition to the motion to dismiss is due. And that's all from me. Please see our Ford Weekly for even more details. And back to you, Nick, in New York. Thanks, Jim. Well, as always, we'll be on the lookout
0: for those developments in the coming days. And now we'll turn to our Director of Credit Research, Mark Fisher, We sat down with Distressed Debt Analyst Stephen Opper and Event-Driven Financial Analyst Shrey Verma to give us a look at consolidation in the pharmaceutical supply chain. Gentlemen, over to you.
2: Thanks, Nick. So I'm here today with Stephen Opper, Distressed Financial Analyst, and Shrey Verma, Financial Analyst from our Event-Driven team, and we're going to talk about the pharmaceutical supply chain, which as far as M&A and consolidation goes not many industries have been more active. And the pharmaceutical supply chain, what I'm going to talk about is from the manufacturer right through the insurance companies. So we've seen consolidation within subsectors from uh, Walgreens buying certain stores from Rite Aid to Albertsons buying all of Rite Aid uh, or attempting to buy all of Rite Aid and then vertical mergers as well, such as the proposed CVS, Aetna, and Express, Scripts and Cigna tie-ups. So what these consolidations have done is they've shifted greatly the purchasing power within each within each segment, and they've really altered uh, that those profit centers from one part of the chain uh, throughout to, to different areas of the supply chain, and that's the part that I really want to discuss today and uh, and dig into the details. So with that, uh, Stephen. If you could just provide us some, some background on uh, you know where we are uh, in in the industry, what the landscape looks like right now, which throughout the supply chain, what are the areas where we've seen the most consolidation uh, occur?
3: All right. So we've seen consolidation um, in a number of different areas uh, and in various forms, but primarily, um, consolidations has occurred in, in pharmacy benefit managers, uh, which have rapidly consolidated um, over the past. Few years or so, um, and in addition to that, those pharmacy benefit managers have formed purchasing groups with the largest wholesalers, um, and together, those entities have really, um, as you mentioned uh, before, created uh, significant parties that uh, that have significant purchasing power.
2: Great, and um, you know, I wanted to start just go through each part of a supply chain and. How this consolidation has affected uh, the profitability of each part of the, uh, the the chain, and starting with the generic uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers, uh, you know if you could tell us who are they selling to, who is the big buyer, where you know where um, is that part consolidated, and how has that affected the pharmaceutical company's uh, profit and, um, and and pricing?
3: Right. So, you know as, as we mentioned uh, before. Um, there's essentially the PBMs and, uh, and top wholesalers have combined to create these significant purchasing entities. And those, uh, are, are the entities that, uh, you know, purchase drugs from the manufacturers, the wholesalers primarily. Uh, now the dynamics have shifted as the industry has changed because nowadays most of, most prescriptions are filled, uh, through generics and generic pharmaceuticals in general, um, uh, come with much higher margins for essentially every Uh, almost every party in the supply chain except for manufacturers. And that's because uh, generic pharmaceuticals are are, are much more commoditized than um, the branded pharmaceuticals and obviously other parties can extract more value um, throughout the chain from manufacturers. Now, the wholesaler consolidation um, has been called out by Teva, Endo, a couple of the other companies that we've followed and also uh, pharmacies themselves as leading to significant price erosion um, on generic uh, pharmaceuticals. And that's impacted, um, first, the margins of, uh, uh, this deflation's impacted the margins of those generic manufacturers, but also throughout the supply chain, wholesaler margins have decreased, um, pharmacies have been squeezed. And, um, you know, we've mentioned uh, also that the PBMs have consolidated, and that's hit pharmacies and manufacturers in a different way uh, because that impacts more of the reimbursement side, uh, the consolidation in in, in PBMs, uh, you know, those are the entities that really negotiate payments with pharmacies uh, and how they're going to be reimbursed for each prescription that they dispense. And since they've consolidated, uh, it's made it much more difficult for pharmacies to negotiate uh, levels of reimbursement.
2: And it's it's interesting that you know your discussion on the the pharmacies and how they're affected because. It's both, they've seen positive and negative as well. The positive, it seems like they've been able to extract some value from the generic manufacturers such as Teva Endo, um, and others that you mentioned, but then on the same side, some of them at least are getting squeezed by uh, by the PBMs. And uh, you know, one company in particular I wanted to focus on because it seems like they're experiencing both dynamics is Rite Aid. Um, you know, some Rite Aid is, is is a name that you recently picked up. Um, it's also Company that's um, going through a merger themselves with, um, with 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 Albertsons, but you know how has what, what has Rite Aid said, and um, you know how have they experienced this um, this different dynamic.
3: That's right, that's right, and you know I think it's interesting because as you mentioned, the pharmacies it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I mean they've realized that deflation uh, has occurred throughout the supply chain, and they've tried to extract some of the benefit of that deflation. Uh, it seems as though the pharmacy, the, the PBM reimbursement hasn't kept up uh, with the same rate uh, as that deflation, um, uh, and so they're they're kind of being squeezed by both ends. Um, and also, you've seen not only, as you mentioned, Rite Aid and some of the larger pharmacies, um, smaller independent pharmacies have really come together uh, to form group purchasing organizations, which, uh, in addition to the main generic purchasers, the top three um, generic purchasers. Those purchasing organizations have, um, you know, also been able to extract some value from wholesalers, um, uh, kind of feeding into that feedback loop of, um, of erosion. Now, Rite Aid specifically, um, Walgreens and Rite Aid have been uh, engaging in this transaction for some time, and in the the ultimate form that um, they ended up going through with, one of the main benefits that Rite Aid um, has has portrayed from the transaction is that they have a 10-year option to purchase generic drugs at the same or an equivalent price as Walgreens Boots Alliance. And that's significant because right now, um, Red Aid purchases uh, almost all of its drugs, generic and branded, from McKesson. Um, and Walgreens Boots Alliance is significantly larger than McKesson, even though McKesson is a large entity. And if they're able to to use that option to their benefit, they could potentially... Um, Reduce their prescription costs um, uh, through uh, you know through that option either by placing pressure on McKesson McKesson to uh, renegotiate the prices they're paying currently through that deal or potentially through using that option to switch to Walgreens Boots Alliance and and purchase at that lower price point.
2: Great, and um, you know I guess that's part of the reason that Albertsons now is is interested in in Rite Aid. Uh, you know what are some comments that Albertsons has made. Um, that, that shows their uh the their desire uh, and and then what kind of benefit they'll get out of the right aid purchase.
3: Yeah, and so right at, sorry, excuse me, Albertsons they've also uh, you know identified that they, they use uh, McKesson as their primary supplier as well. And so uh, I think on the on the call to discuss the transaction, management indicated there could be a potential to bring some cost savings forward, um, although Albertsons can't use the option that Rite Aid has been granted through the transaction with Walgreens, there's potential um, through their combined uh, increased purchasing power to potentially renegotiate a new deal with McKesson or in some way pull uh, those costs down uh, before both uh, Rite Aid and Albertsons' agreements expire with McKesson. So that's one benefit. Uh, Another benefit, uh, potentially, it seems as though um, Albertsons is looking to use Rite Aid's PBM platform um, uh, potentially to drive volumes uh, uh, to the uh, Albertsons pharmacies, um, which they see as, Albertsons has outlined, that their pharmaceutical customers are some of the highest-paying customers. Um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a large factor, I think 2.3 times uh, the spend. I, I might be off slightly on that, of what the normal um, customer, non, non non-pharmacy customer that enters Alberton's spends, And so, um, you know, they're trying to drive those higher paying customers into the stores and they, they view inclusion of, uh, the PBM and Red Aid's platform and that as a, as a driver of those
2: volumes. Great. And, And then just talking about the PBM, um, You know itself. It's you also see sort of a um, you know difference in one PBM versus the other. Um, Whereas you know I don't want to keep picking on Rite Aid here, but um, certainly Caremark has uh, affected CVS's profitability (coughs) in a different way than Envision RX, which is Rite Aid's PBM. uh, You know has affected the overall Rite Aid business. So what is it about? uh, certain PBMs that make them more profitable than the other, and in particular, um, you know, to talk to us about the Envision RX uh, and why that has been, I guess, a little bit of a disappointment, uh, for lack of a better word, for Rite Aid.
3: Right. So, Rite Aid's PBM is significantly smaller than some of the PBMs that you mentioned. Um, I think, you know, according to the most recent figures, uh, the top three PBMs—CVS, uh, Express Scripts, OptumRX—those three PBMs are responsible for nearly 75% um, of prescription claims that are managed by all PBMs. And so, those are those are really, you know, while, while we discussed the consolidation amongst um, wholesalers and purchasing groups, there's also been a significant consolidation amongst those PBMs. EnvisionRx RX is a much smaller entity, um, and. One of the things that, that Rite Aid has highlighted um, about Invision RX is also that they made a strategic decision um, and to, to focus on certain uh, clients over others, essentially in their Medicare Part D coverage, they uh, felt that low income subsidy members were less profitable than chooser members. And in doing uh, in making then, uh, that decision, they decided to pull out of certain Medicare Part D markets that didn't have the correct um, customer mix that they were looking for, and in doing that, um, they, you know, they essentially uh, scaled down the business um, over the past uh, few quarters, and now they have the goal to now increase and invest in that business. They've outlined the uh, Envision RX platform. Rite AIDS outlined that platform as a potential driver of growth going forward for the company. Uh, I think they they aim to increase their lives covered uh, by Envision RX by I think one and a half times. During uh, 2018, from 2017 figures, and so they're looking at that as a platform for growth, even though, uh, as you mentioned, it hasn't necessarily uh, performed as well as uh, I think they had initially hoped when they purchased it.
2: Right, and um, you know the the thing um, that I've noticed that I guess sort of ties this whole industry together and really determines um, you know who has. Uh, who's paying what price and, uh, you know, ultimately where their profitability will be is how the rebates work. Um, you know, it seems as if no one in this industry pays full uh, full price, full wholesale price, uh, you know, whatever the term might be, but some, um, most are paying, if not all, a discount off of that number. So if you could tell us, then explain to us how those rebates uh, actually work and um, who's paying what, essentially.
3: Right. And so, you know, there's, uh, as you mentioned before, the rebates factor into this significantly. Uh, there's been a, a divergence between the list priced and the uh, net price, um, a significant divergence. Essentially, uh, manufacturers provide rebates to a number of players uh, throughout the, the supply chain, but primarily to PBMs. Um, and that those rebates are to ensure that they're Drugs are placed uh, on PBM's coverage list on their formularies so that, um, you know, obviously that incentivizes people to purchase those prescriptions instead. The PBMs are, depending on their model, um, will sometimes share those rebates uh, with the insurance provider with the idea that the cost savings would uh, ultimately be passed on to the consumer. Uh, The health plans, uh, you know, it's not like, it's a little bit tough to tell it's not the most transparent um, interaction, but over time um, health plans are supposed to reduce their costs uh, per person basis by receiving those rebates Now it's been that's been a point of scrutiny whether all of that um, rebate has been passed on um, to the ultimate consumer and and their new PBMs are now focusing on uh, because of the scrutiny on, Identifying new ways to to um, structure
2: those, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out going forward. Great, and um, you know, it, it's interesting that you know that consolidation there is is one of the 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 most concentrated uh, you know areas within the PBMs that we see. Um, you know, we talk about and um, mentioned earlier some of the pharmacy. Uh, uh, mergers or um or, or some of the buyouts where Walgreens bought some Rite Aid stores and that Rite Aid with Albertsons but um you know there you have the top three manufacturers controlling less than 50 percent which sounds like a lot but but it's actually small compared to what's happened in some of the other areas like the PBMs and um and also those purchasing um you know power organizations that you had uh mentioned before that that are tied with the uh the wholesalers um sorry, the distributors, um, you know, as, as well. Um, and then even, um, you know, Albertsons and, and Rite Aid uh, coming together, you know, this still just makes them uh, the fourth player. And, um, you know, beyond the top three, it, it's, it's pretty less consolidated. Uh, so... Going now to you know the new the next wave of mergers that we're seeing, uh, CVS, Aetna, Express Scripts, Cigna. Uh, you know, Shreya, I want to bring you into the discussion here. Um, these mergers are more you know what I like to call vertical mergers, um, where with CVS and Aetna, you're combining uh, the retail pharmacy, PBM, and insurance company, and then uh, you know Cigna and Express Scripts, the insurance company and the uh, the PBM. So. Um, you know, the, the, the first thing is, you know, we talked about what's driving these and why companies want to do this. Um, let's bring in the, the regulator into this discussion. Uh, you know, where are we right now on the approval process um, in, in terms of timing and, and, and uh, you know, where, what are the, which regulators are, are looking at this?
4: It's still early days in, uh, you know, if you look at CVS Aetna, Cigna Express Scripts, uh, we've seen uh, the Department of Justice issue a second request for CVS Aetna, uh, and the companies are likely to comply with that request. Uh, it's going to be a long, drawn-out process for both these mergers. Uh, it's still early days. Uh, insurers uh, uh, and insurer regulators across states are still looking into these two mergers, still studying these transactions. Uh, one particular uh, concern that regulators and uh, lawmakers on Capitol Hill have expressed has to do with um, you know, how the combination could affect uh, smaller players in the market. Uh, whether it's the independent pharmacies, the smaller insurers. And those are some concerns that were expressed on the Hill during uh, the congressional hearing that took place recently. Uh, But as as things unfold and as we head into the midterm elections and the drug pricing debate uh, gathers steam, uh, I think you'll likely hear a lot more on CVS, Aetna, and Cigna Express Scripts, especially in the context of how this affects out-of-pocket drug, out uh, drug spending for consumers across the board
2: and and what are the um aside from independent versus uh, you know large national uh brands here wh- what is it what pockets within the chain specifically are regulators looking at whether it be the concentration in the retail uh, uh, part the pbm the insurance uh, side of the business wh- which which part are they focusing on the most
4: Right, you know, as Steven uh, mentioned earlier, you know, there's a a huge concentration in the PBM market, just top three players control almost 75% of the prescription volumes. I think the fact that uh, CVS Caremark and Express Scripts, these are two big PBMs that control uh, the market, the fact that they are teaming up with two big insurers, uh, Aetna and Cigna, uh, would be one particular concern. Uh, You know, one uh, area that uh, we are looking at is whether cvs Etna, as a combination would be uh, able to steer uh, patients and customers uh, towards uh, CVS uh, retail pharmacies uh, as against independent community pharmacies in uh, certain neighborhoods and rural markets. Uh, That's one concern uh, that could uh, be part of the larger scrutiny. The fact that uh, a lot of these insurers, you know, Anthem in particular, uh, that have been trying to come out with their own in-house PBMs, you've seen United uh, building uh, Optum. So there's a trend towards insurers building out their in-house PBMs. So the fact that uh, Aetna, CVS, if that merger hadn't taken place, Aetna would have pursued a similar strategy. Uh, And so this merger sort of offsets uh, a potential new competitor uh, in the PBM market. Uh, so that's that's another area that uh, you know uh, some uh, antitrust regulators have uh, highlighted, uh, as we've uh, in many of the conversations we've had with them. Uh, another area that I find interesting uh, is uh, you know how do small insurers how do they react to these two transactions? Express Scripts uh, after CVS Aetna is the only standalone PBM out there. And even now that Express Scripts wants to merge with Cigna, there'll be no standalone PBM left. So what happens to smaller insurers? Uh, You do need essential PBM services to be contracted out. And do they do that uh, with the CVS Caremark or Optum or Express Scripts, which have insurer relationships uh, and that's that's a question that uh, regulators will uh, seek answers. Well,
2: um, you know, one of those areas I thought you you re- um, that was really interesting. You just wrote about uh, the other day was uh, the effect on specialty pharma, because uh, that that's a pretty fast growing area with the biologics and and you know and other drugs um, certainly from the profit side of things there's a lot of profit that um, is moving through the supply chain right now um, you know what's what's the fear from the the regulators on that side of the pharmaceutical industry definitely
4: a specialty pharma it's, it's a growing industry some estimates uh put specialty pharma and spending on specialty drugs uh, to be around 50% of total US drug spend by 2020. That's a huge number. So it's a lucrative market. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know there's a, a biosimilar pipeline uh, that that's, uh, only enhances the growth of this market. Express Scripts, CVS Caremark, Optum, Briova RX, these are big players in the market. Uh, so that's the, that's one model where you have a PBM-owned specialty pharmacy that's cornering the market. So you have the big guys uh, in the picture. Then you have smaller niche players that have concentrated on orphan drugs, certain uh, medications, uh, and, and they've built their business based on that. Now the threat uh, from these consolidations is, let's say it, You know, uh, Express Scripts combines with uh, Cigna, Um, and both Cigna and Express Scripts already have a specialty pharmacy operation in place, Uh, more so their mail-order pharmacy. Some uh, stakeholders that I've spoken to have expressed the fear that uh, tomorrow, Express scripts could make life difficult for these independent specialty pharmacies. Usually what happens is when a patient visits a specialty pharmacy, uh, the pharmacy has to receive prior authorization. So this is a process by which the pharmacy communicates with the physician, with the insurer, the PBM, in order to green light and fill that prescription. Uh, This process is designed because these specialty drugs are very expensive, Uh, they're very complicated uh, medications. And oftentimes, PBM insurers use the prior authorization process to either deny the prescription or route uh, the patient to their own specialty pharmacy. At least, that's the fear that's been expressed. So, both CVS Caremark and Express Scripts could steer patients to their own mail-order specialty pharmacy. That could be uh, that could be part of the larger scrutiny that regulators could look at.
2: Great, um, you know, uh, thanks. This is you know going to be really interesting one to follow. And you know, just to end, I think we've we've had some um, some pickup in activity uh, right on um, on the Hill uh, um, yesterday. You know, as we get closer to the the midterm elections, right? Um, yesterday, you had couple of uh, senators um, making some comments. And, and of course, um, you know, Trump has said um, uh, the Trump administration has, uh, you know, talked about uh, drug pricing um, as well and introducing um, some, some measures up, uh, upcoming on that. So, you know, if you could just uh, provide us on, on some of the latest um, and then uh, we'll conclude.
4: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, Earlier this week, we saw President Trump uh, give a speech on the opioid crisis. Uh, He used that platform uh, to, you know, uh, again, focus on the drug pricing debate. What I found interesting uh, was that he invited his health secretary, Alex Azar, on stage. And Azar uh, mentioned that uh, the Trump administration would be looking to uh, come up with a policy that would get rid of the middlemen, uh, and here the middlemen being the PBMs. I think what you're looking at is as we head into the midterm elections, uh, drug pricing out of uh, pocket costs for the end consumer, the patients, will be key uh, debating point. And if the administration can help reduce out of pocket spend for patients, and as Steven mentioned earlier, you know PBMs, they've been cornering a lot of the rebates, but they haven't been passing that on to consumers. Uh, that's been a major point of contention uh, between the administration, between drug manufacturers and the PBMs. And the fact that we have uh, all this focus on the PBMs does increase some of the risks associated with the PBM insurer deals that we are seeing uh, play out, uh, whether it's Aetna, C- uh, Aetna CVS or whether it's Cigna Express Scripts.
2: Okay, great. Um, thank you very much. Uh, this, is, this has been um, truly enlightening. I appreciate it, uh, guys. i um, Stephen Shrey, Thank you very much. Uh, and Nick, uh, back to you.
0: And that's all for this week. As a reminder, you can access all Reorg Research podcasts on our media page, or if you're not a subscriber, you can access them on iTunes or SoundCloud. I'm Nick Lichtenberg, and this has been The Week in Reorg. Join us next time on Reorg's weekly podcast.